Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Got a good one for you this week. We're doing a listener Q&A, but I got to let you know that we had a little malfunction with our normal microphones, so this one's going to sound a good bit different than what you're used to. We had to use one of our backup microphones for this one, so unfortunately, audio quality is going to be different than what you guys are used to, but it's still going to be a really good episode, but also just wanted to take a minute to remind you guys to write in whatever turkey Q&A submissions you might have. We're getting ready to start cranking up some turkey content here in the spring so whatever questions you have on turkey hunting whether it's tactics stories you know whatever 
uh, questions you got, make sure you go ahead and start writing those in so we have them for when we are interviewing our turkey guests here in a couple weeks where we start spinning up those interviews because uh, we would love to be able to pitch some questions to some of our guests coming up this spring. We've already got a couple turkey questions lined up in the queue, but y'all make sure to send them whatever you got and get them in ahead of time, like I said, so we can include them with our future guests that we're going to be recording with here in the next couple weeks. So without further ado, appreciate y'all listening and let's get into the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we're doing some listener Q&As. As always, you can hit the uh, show notes, check out some time stamps, if you want to skip ahead. <laughs> Sorry, we were just laughing before we started. If you want to skip ahead to those questions, uh, but we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Jacob, how you doing? Ah, doing well, doing real well. So, you know, we're coming into the last part of the season here in Alabama. I know a lot of you guys uh, across the country, probably season's come and gone by this point. But Alabama, we hit the February 10th. Mississippi's got to the end of the month, uh, which, I mean, that's like a few days after this episode comes out. So, you know, season is almost wrapping up for the rest of us here. Um, But it has been pretty good so far. Um, You know, kind of still, you know, Drag my feet a little bit from the little missed opportunities on, S- on our SOA hunt. Um, but other than that, doing, doing pretty good. But Andrew, how are you doing, Mr. COVID positive? Listen, I'm sacrificing myself, boys and girls, <laughs> to be here with a COVID positive Look, individual. The whole, the whole family got it. It's, it's good. Uh, yeah. Wear your, wear your mask. I got, I got my mask on, guys, for all the YouTube viewers right now. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're on the back side of it now. Um, yeah, if you get it, you know, it is what it is. Sacrifice himself. Uh, for, the, for this show. For that's, this how, show. that's how much we love you guys. Hey, and if you buy one of these hats, I promise I won't package it. I'll get Jacob back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, send, some, send them some COVID your way. Yeah, I appreciate everybody's been uh, picking up the new... Well, new in shipment, but the old school camo hats. Again, we brought these out earlier this fall. They've been selling like crazy. We're on our third shipment of them. Uh, already been selling like crazy. So we appreciate everybody picking up these hats, uh, these patch hats. Also, still have my fa- my favorite chocolate chip hat, which I got on my head right now. Brown on, really brown on dark gray. Yeah, uh, kind of the mesh. But another Richardson hat. It's a really nice hat. But appreciate everybody's been purchasing all the hats and everything like that. Appreciate all that support. And also. We appreciate everybody's already submitted to uh, be coming to our Weaver Meetup, Hunters, the second annual Hunters Meetup at Weaver Meat Processing in Hartsville, Alabama at the end of February, February 24th. It's our, um, really our second live event we've done in the last year. Yep. Uh, and we absolutely love this. It, it's a, it's an awesome time. It's a free event, guys. Again, all you have to do is just, you know, jot down the date. It's a, it's a Saturday, February 24th. Come in. You can bring any deer you want to get scored at that event. We'll have Buckmasters here doing some scoring. We're going to have some live seminars slash Q&As, kind of like podcast aspect going on throughout the day. Uh, you come hang out. You can buy some merchandise. There'll be free food, free drink provided by Weaver Meat Processing as well. And last year it was an awesome turnout and we did it in deer season. So this year it should be absolutely insane. We've already had a lot of people talk about coming to the event. Uh, some of you guys, and again, go over to our event page over at the Southern Outdoorsman on Facebook. You can go down to events, scroll down, and you can actually get all the information there, all the details. And we look forward to seeing you at Weaver Meat Processing for the second annual Hunters Meetup. Yep, it was super fun last year. Uh, yeah, it was in deer season. We got a lot of complaints about that. Uh, we had a lot of people message us being like, if it wasn't so, in, on a Saturday in deer season, I would have been there. So of all of you that said that last year. Yeah, you better be there this year. <laughs> you better be there this year because yeah. I don't want to hear about it. But no, it's going to be an awesome event, guys. Even with that, we still had over 
it was couple, a, like over it was, 100 people show up for sure. Yeah, it was almost 200 people that showed up for the event during deer season, which was pretty cool. So, uh, again, appreciate Weaver Meats and everything they've done, kind of supporting us and be able to put on this live event. And thank you uh, to those guys providing food for everybody. So, again, it's a free event, family-friendly. Bring the kids out, the whole nine yards. Uh, it's going to be a really fun time, and you're going to see some really big deer at this event. So yep. uh, they're having a big buck contest through Weaver Meats, which, again, if you killed any deer this year that you'd want to enter that, uh, they get prizes for like the top, I think 20 people, uh, 20 entries along with some giveaways they're doing away, uh, doing as well for entries um, and cash price for the top, I think it's top three people, $1,000 yeah. for the first uh, the, the winner. Bunch and, of podcast guests going to be there too? Yeah, a bunch of podcast guests going to be there. Uh, I, know, I know Jamie McKay's going to be there because he's in the big buck contest. Yeah, Michael. That sucker's probably going to win it. Michael, Michael, <laughs> Michael Pike, or Michael, well, hopefully Michael Pike's going to be there. Y'all go harass Michael Pike. Pike ought to be there. Yeah, yeah if he's not there, listen, he, he got asked so many times last year, where's Michael Pike at? I'm like, working, I guess. But, you know, hopefully Michael Pike's going to be there as well. Uh, Michael Perry will be there, uh, Shane Parker, and a bunch of other guys as well. So it's going to be a really good event. So don't miss it. Again, February 24th in Hartsville, Alabama. So um, I just appreciate that. But kind of getting to the episode, Andrew, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. But really, this last week, we haven't been able to hunt really a whole bunch. I mean, other than like, this is woodcock hunting, which we haven't yeah. really talked about. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we we had this place that we were planning on going to hunt, and we were kind of going back and forth. I think it must have been on last week's episode. We were talking about uh, how we were kind of going to round out the rest of our deer season and chasing the rut here around Alabama. We just wrapped up our SOA hunt, and uh, our SOA hunt, uh, our the podcast for that is dropping this month. And uh, so we were trying to figure out, you know, how to come off that, where we're going to go chase the rut. We've had this one hunt planned for quite a while now. We planned it uh, sometime in the early fall, and uh, we were going to get a big camp together. And that, that one is coming up here soon. And, of course, it's going to rain like crap all week so yeah. we're gonna see how that goes we're, we're gonna play it by ear uh severe thunderstorms that, that's that's the reality of deer hunting in alabama man you're hunting in severe thunderstorms all the time and uh so instead of going and traveling around to hunt i was going i was going to go to the same place that we're planning on deer hunting and i was just going to run my dog mm-hmm. and we're going to see if we could find some woodcock quail rabbit whatever and uh and you decided to come too so we got a group together down it was uh, me you mike my stepdad who people heard on Monday's episode and our buddy Zach Eccles who uh, people have heard on the podcast for a while back for a long time listener and uh, we all went down there and dude it was fun it was so fun this is the this is the beauty of having such a long deer season and having like the rut kind of all over the place is uh is you can you can take Saturdays and go do stuff like this and not at least I don't feel bad about it because I'm like dude I know I'm, I got more hunting ahead of me you know I got more gun hunting ahead of me I've been hunting deer since like September. Yep. So, you know, gave up this Saturday, went out there, uh, partially to scout, partially to run the dogs. I think we were going into it more of the mindset of we're gonna go run the dog, or uh, we're gonna go scout. And then we got there and we actually started finding birds. We're like, forget the deer, <laughs> let's go. Well, they say that, but I mean, the first year we ran the dogs, which I don't, we won't talk about a whole bunch of details on, but, um, there's an area that you you had mentioned. I was like, man, you were had just been there like a week ago or two weeks ago. Yeah, and you were like, there wasn't any birds there, but the cover's good. The cover's good. There, you ought to find some birds. And birds we're talking about, you know, we're talking about kind of quail, but like I still have never flushed a wild wild quail in Alabama. Um, but we're looking for woodcock, which is a migratory bird that comes down from you know Canada and the, the upper Midwest. 
uh, once they finally get some cold weather, and we finally had all this cold weather the last two weeks, yep. like really cold weather that froze them out, they finally got down here and do, were they not here thick as crap? Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're awesome birds. I mean, they're, they're it's, a, it's a really cool species to hunt, especially if you have a dog. But to be honest, where we're at, you didn't really need a dog. You could go and just kick them up like a pheasant and shoot them oh, whenever yeah. you wanted to. Oh, it was so fun, dude. Uh, I, I love them. Like, it's kind of funny because you go hunt with, like, our buddy Nick Larson, uh, up in Wisconsin, we went hunting with him, and he's like, "Oh, another woodcock," you know. And I'm like, "Dude, to to me, like where we have, we do not have great bird hunting in the South anymore. Mm -hmm. In most places, uh, dude, I'll take a woodcock any day of the week, yeah, son. I get fired up about. It. They're so fun when you get into them. It is so much fun. And yeah, you know, my first walk, uh, I ended up getting down later than you guys. So y'all went on on a getting walk. Getting down? Oh, oh, okay. I thought so, I'd get out of the tree, but yeah, never mind. No, no, no. So I, I, I got down to where we were hunting uh, a little bit later than y'all, so I couldn't find my dang truck keys. <laughs> was a little, little, uh, little, little issue that morning. And uh, so found those, got down, and I, I went on my first walk of the day with Boone, and we were walking around this pine thicket, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Woodcock happen to live like on the edge of like good deer habitat most of the time. So uh, anywhere where it's like saplings, it's kind of thick, soft dirt uh, is where a woodcock's gonna want to be because they got this long beak and they probe down in the dirt for earthworms. So they're not gonna be on like gravelly dirt or anything rocky dirt. They're gonna be in like muddy areas, and uh, some people call them mud bats. Um, so I was gonna go work basically the the edge of this pine thicket where it met like this really just kind of wet hardwood bottom. And uh, man, I started working around the edge of that. And at first there was like a, a little bit of buck sign. It was like scrape here, you know, scrape there, not much. And we start getting towards the back of this pine thicket and I'm looking down the trail and I see a deer standing there just looking at me. And so I get the e-collar remote out because I'm just waiting for Boone to like just tear off after this thing. And Boone, you know, he runs out into the trail and he looks down and he sees the deer standing there like 50 yards and he kind of looks at it for a minute and I've got the remote and I'm just waiting. I'm like, you just try it, buddy. And uh, we're about to learn. And uh, he stared at the deer for a minute and then he just looked back to where he was going and went right back in the brush and started hunting again. Yeah, see, your dog's not like Pepper. Ben's not like Pepper. Pepper would see that and be like, oh, it's on, baby. And he just, yeah, and, which we experienced that on Saturday yeah so so I go hunting through here and the deer sign is decent like there's a lot of deer sign I see I end up seeing uh, that deer and five other deer mm -hmm. and uh, deer the, the sign back there is pretty good um, but where I've ran into the most sign there's there's some water back in this area and the pine thicket comes up pretty close to where that water's at and dude I got between the pine thicket and that water it's probably like a 50 yard buffer of mm -hmm. like not big hardwoods but just like not and not saplings either they're all trees that are just like i don't know as big around as like a softball and a little bit bigger around than a softball you seem big as around a softball but you're doing it like this i'm like i don't know the last time you played softball but that's you know that's <laughs> well, I'm not being nine a inches in diameter right there that, it ranges in size from like a softball to maybe a basketball okay okay so like on the bigger end that's a big but like a, like a lot of you know a lot of smaller trees like the kind of the kind of woods that if you, like it does you absolutely no good to get in a tree. Um, if you're sitting on the ground, you can maybe see like 50 yards through them. There's some grass under there, uh, but if you get in a tree, you're you're gonna be able to see 25 yards in any direction. Yeah, it's those kind of woods. And dude, those woods were absolutely lit up with sun. There was there was big rubs all over the place. There were small rubs. There were medium rubs. There was whip rubs that were broken off 
but not like an early season whip rub, like fresh rubs yeah. uh, that were like bigger around uh, than my thumb, the sapling was that they broke. They're just really impressive sign going through there. And it was in that one specific feature where it's like, okay, seemed like all the does were kind of hanging in this pine thicket. And again, this is a swampier area uh, that we're not really used to hunting. So we're still in the process of figuring this kind of stuff out. Uh, but there was a lot of just general deer sign, meaning tracks. There's a couple scrapes, but mostly tracks and trails mm -hmm. in the pine thicket. But right there where it pinched between the, the edge of the water and the pines, that's where all that buck sign was. And it was kind of interesting because I felt like it related to where y'all were on your river bottom hunt a couple weeks back, a uh, totally different part of the state, but y'all got some local advice up there that said kind of the same thing that most of the bucks that are walking in daylight, like if you're not finding that buck track on the edge of the water, it's probably not a daylight track. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of interesting. So I dropped a bunch of pins on that. We hunted out, we ended up flushing a couple woodcock. I killed some saplings trying to shoot at them. So another thing about woodcock, where they live, where you're typically flushed up is like sapling thick, you know, it's not, not like necessarily it's like, not like a pine thick. Yeah, it's not like you're shooting a dove in a wide open field. No. Where there's like nothing but like air and opportunity no, between you and the bird. <laughs> there's, there's air and opportunity, baby. No, it's a bunch of saplings and you just got to follow through and just shoot. Sometimes you just ten ring the freaking tree in front I, of you. I, I shot one in half. Uh, that day, later in the day, I, I, mean, I did that just, morning. I mean, came through and I'm like, boom, and that tree just exploded <laughs> like four feet from my face. And I'm like, man, I probably do need to wear some shooting glasses. That, I mean, that happened to me, dude. That boom, he got down there and he pointed, and a woodcock flushed. I whiff on it twice, and then I'm he, he like, he breaks his point and he starts acting all birdie again. I'm like, crap, there's probably another one. So I reload as fast as I can, and as soon as I snap it shut. He points again, and I take one step, and another woodcock gets up. And I, the first shot, I just shoot behind it. It's flying like real close to the ground. Oh, weird. The second shot, I'm like, I got it. And but like as I'm swinging, I shoot, and I just a sapling like about about as big around as like the objective lens on these binos in front of us, and I just killed that thing, dude. It was like two feet off the end of my gun barrel, yeah. and the tree fell over after I shot. So I was like, oh, well, crap. So I didn't get those, and then Ben, you know, he's disappointed in me. Uh, but anyways, I left that walk, and uh, that's when I called you and decided to meet up with you guys. So what, what were y'all seeing so far? Yeah, so like we parked our trucks, and Zach went hunting with me and Mike. So we had a Weller, which is Mike's pup, uh, his uh, small Muscleander pup, who's like six months old. Yep. And it was his first outing ever. Ever. And uh, he was a little cautious about like, the whole gunshots and everything. I'm like... I was look. I was. I was like, man, we're probably gonna find some birds, but like, I don't think we're gonna have a lot of shooting, so we're probably not that worried. You were wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, and then Zach was with us, and dude, Zach's hunting with. I'm like, did you bring your home defense shotgun to come hunt? And he's like, what? And he's like, man, that thing's got like a 20 inch barrel on it. Dude. Super short. L little pump gun. Uh, I don't know if it was pump or automatic, I can't remember, but it's a small little yeah, that compact like little $200 Academy Outdoor Special. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, cool. Anyways, dude. I told him, like, there's some cover right next to where you parked it that you said you walked through and it looked real good. Yeah. And, uh, like, we're going to start there, but we're going to work the, we're not going to just walk right into it. We're going to swing. We had a good wind coming in our face. And instead of, like, walking right into that cover, we're going to swing to the, the back edge. And it's just, like, real high stem count, like, briars and stuff and, like, just, you know, little cedars and stuff. We're going to swing to the edge of it and hunt the edge of it next to the bigger hardwoods and, like, kind of wrap around it. Well, we do that. Kind of start wrapping around with pepper. And uh, you know, peppers work and everything, but like we don't we don't really get any birds up, nothing like that, until we kind of go around the edge. And we decided like 
get out into it. And actually, I may be forgetting some stuff. Actually, I think we did put up a couple birds right there, and we all freaking whiffed on them. Uh, and uh anyway so we uh, i think we put up a couple birds and just i get a whiff um but we came around the edge of that cover right to where it met like we were walking man there's ice like everywhere that there was standing water it It was was just like breaking ice and pepper was not about that okay she got used to it after about 20 minutes because that's all we were walking through for some of it which is not where you can try to find a blue cock they're not gonna be the icy little water holes they're gonna be like where it's wet but it's not frozen over and uh, finally, Pepper goes up in front of me, and I don't know if she bumped the bird or what, but we have a, Zach's right next to me, and a, a bird comes up, uh, a woodcock comes up, and Zach is like just off to my left-hand side, and I'm like, you know, shoot, like, you know, try to shoot, like, you know, shoot, and he shoots, and I mean, just drops this bird right in this, like, came out to like a little logging road there, just drops right in the logging road. And I'm like, Zach just killed. This is, this is the first time Zach's ever gone woodcock hunting. It, I think his first shot he shot, he killed a woodcock. And it was the first bird in our group to kill one, too. And uh, anyways, we went up and uh, was able to grab that bird. But did we put up like, I had I was shooting so bad. I was shooting <laughs> so bad. Because it was my first like upland trip of the year. And like upland shooting, when you're shooting like, a rising bird, so much different than like just regular wing shooting, like passing birds, like from waterfowl or dove hunting or anything like that. And uh yeah, I was I just whiffed on a couple birds or you'd hit a bird and like feathers would come off, but like bird just keep going, it'd land, you'd go put a dog back on it, flush back up, couldn't get a shot, all kinds of stuff. But we did we ended up doing a real big loop and um I think did I kill one that I, I killed one later on in that morning. I, I killed one. Um, don't really remember the situation of it because there were so many birds in I mean, we probably flushed. I told somebody we probably flushed twenty five birds. I think that was kind of under shot. Yeah. Um, at least yeah, it was a, man, that was a really good day. Yeah, it, it was it was an awesome day. But the cool thing is Weller, that puppy, he had two awesome encounters right there on that the edge of that pine thicket where a lot of saplings where we put up I think four or five birds. Um, he had one, he was running through, he did not know what was going on and he's never pointed, nothing like that. He's never really been around birds yet. And he, he, I saw him kind of get looking like he was birdie, a musty birdie kind of tail moving a little bit. And he walks, I'm talking about right over, right on top of a woodcock and it flushes up and hits him in the face when it comes up. Like legit. Oh wow. Like this comes up, hits him in the face. That is so good for a young dog, man. Yeah. So they're like, and that's what we we're trying to go after and there was no shot opportunity it was like just too thick where he was at but i told mike i'm like mike because mike was like over to my side a little bit and i was like mike woodcock just flushed and just hit weller in the face <laughs> and then after that i think he started putting the pieces together a little bit he had, he had it happen one more time in that loop we started covering some ground uh between the time that so we started flushing these birds and uh you know pepper's doing her thing and all of a sudden pepper just goes on like a goes on a goes on a, a little run okay oh, I'm, looking, I'm looking up gps the handheld and she's like she's like working the edge of this cover and i'm like okay she's like 160 yards that's fine and but i wanted her to kind of stay in this area because i thought there was more birds but she just kept going and all of a sudden it's like 160 240 270 on my like, second she gets to three she's getting there. she's getting because she's running on a straight line and that means one thing with pepper She's it's, it's a deer or a pig, okay? More than likely a deer in this situation. And she gets to 300 in like, four, like it's five seconds, 10 seconds. And uh, I hit her and I didn't have the setting right on it. And then by the time I adjust the setting, she's at 380. Oh my so, gosh. So I adjust the setting real quick and get turned up, hit her. And uh, she stopped 
Now, uh, uh, hit her, uh, like shocking her, shocking her, and then also tone her as well because she's re, uh, she's trained to recall and tone. But um, she sat there for a second, and I'm like, I, I tone again, and then eat, and then uh, stimulate, and uh, finally, you know, she came back, but uh, she was on a beeline, <laughs> and I understand why. So as we run around the cover, and we get to that area where she took off running. It was just like where we were at. There were deer on there. There were some. There were some tracks. There was um, some some big scrapes right there. But it's not like something I think a deer in during daylight would use, and some rubs. But we get over there to the, the edge of the cover that she was going towards, uh, which is the edge of like like bigger hardwoods with a bunch of like understory. Like there was like a Chinese privet underneath it, and just like high stem count sapling vine thicket. Yeah. And I say thicket, like relatively thicket. Like you know, I can't see twenty yards into it compared to like the open timber. And we get to that spot, and it's just tracks, trails, rubs, scrapes everywhere. For like 300 yards, we walk through this stuff, just like the never never put, did put up another bird in that. And uh, but I was keeping an eye on Pepper, making sure she didn't go chasing some more deer. Um, and we kept going, and then Weller had another bird hit him in the face. But we found, like, really good habitat right there. Like, this really good habitat edge where, again, you had, like, you had like the big the, the big timber coming right up against like this really thick cover that was the thick cover from what we estimated kind of walking through there kind of spread out is probably maybe 100 yards wide of just like denser cover that the deer like you were finding beds you were finding trails tracks scrapes everything in that area and um i, I told zach my like, dude i feel confident coming in and sitting around this habitat edge like especially like an all-day sit getting yeah. in the morning and sitting there, I think you'd have a buck, like you have does filter through, but I think you're gonna have bucks running through this cover line. Because yeah. if they're in that, if you're in those open hardwoods, you would never see those deer unless he's like right on the edge of it. But if he's, if he's in that 100 yard wide, you know, thickness of cover, you know, if you're in there, you can still see, if you climb up, there's no good climbing trees in that area, like for like a, a climbing stand, but with a saddle be fine or lock on sticks be fine. Yeah. But you get up, you know, 14, 15 feet up, you can see out through that stuff in like different little areas like 75 yards out 100 yards out in this area but it's not like the whole area is like that. it's like you can see bits and pieces of it and uh anyway we found some really good sign found a couple more deer found some other big tracks trails rubs scrapes did a big loop came back and met you but on the way back to meeting you i had found like a big community scrape we found a bunch of nice scrapes you know half the size of this table you know two and a half feet wide something like that um but they're like big big scrapes and when we came back through, we had to walk back through another pine thicket with the dogs. And um, we were coming to that pine thicket, and I just had this feeling. I'm like, there's got to be, like, a big scrape in this area. And I started kind of meandering through it with Mike, and then Zach was kind of working the edge of the cover. And all of a sudden, I looked down, like, there it is. And, dude, it was probably seven feet wide, scrape, yeah. eight feet wide scrape. Oh, yeah. Multiple licking branches. The whole thing was destroyed. It smelled like you could smell from 20 yards away just buckier in and um i'm like this is what i was looking for yeah like, just that focal point in like this area that these deer would use in this thick pine thicket in this pine thicket unlike other pine thickets that like we've hunted these pines are like really limmy like they have a lot of limbs like low limbs on them mm -hmm. so it's like you're not a guy's not going to walk in there and sit anywhere in those pines in a climb like you're just you're not going to be able to like you can't get more than six feet off the ground yeah but like if you get in there again with a saddle and either get in that pine thicket or on the edge of that pine thicket where it's still thick shrubby stuff but it goes to more like a, a smaller diameter hardwood like stand i think would be really really good and like i drop pins there as well i was like okay i really like the way this looks yeah definitely yeah that's a really good looking area um <clears throat> so yeah when i came and met y'all i walked through that same area and i haven't like i haven't really talked to you about it yet but 
when, when I came through there, in those pines, in some spots, there was a lot of deer sign. Like, there was nice rubs that I was finding, like, really impressive rubs. Uh, a lot of trails, a lot of beds. But I didn't, where y'all found that scrape, I, I went through there. And it, it might have just been, like, where I walked through, or it could have been that I was, like, too preoccupied making sure Boone didn't find another skunk. Because mm-hmm. last time we were here, he found a freaking skunk, and that was fun. Um, but I never, ever see skunks in Alabama. I don't think I've ever seen one in Alabama. I've only seen. Every time I go to Arkansas, I've seen a skunk. I've seen him in Tennessee. The only place I've ever seen one in Alabama was as far north as you can go in Alabama without being in Tennessee. And uh, this part of Alabama, I have never seen a skunk, and he found one. But anyways, I walked through where that scrape was, and I was like, yeah, this looks pretty good. But that just goes to show, like, y'all took a slightly different path and ran across some sign that I didn't see, where, like, when I walked through there, I didn't really give it much of a second thought, but when y'all came out, you were like, oh, that looks so good. You were talking about all the sign. Well, yeah. So I was like, dude, you could go, depending on how well you cover an area, I mean, we probably walked 30 yards difference, and mm-hmm. you guys found that sign, and I didn't. Well, so that's just interesting. Another thing that kind of confirmed, like, they're using it, and, you know, some of it's probably maybe at night. I think they're in that thicket throughout the day, but that opening next to it, when you come out of the corner, that little that opening right there, Dude, there were some huge tracks, like big tracks working the edge of that yeah. opening. Yeah. Um, and there was like two more scrapes right there on that opening as well, and like more trails coming out of like that, that higher stem count hardwoods. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, okay, this looks really, really good. Um, so anyways, it, it made me feel confident, because again, that's kind of how we're using the dogs, you know, for the listeners and viewers out there is, you know, if we can go do like one of these like woodcock hunts or something, but do it in an area that we're interested in deer hunting, where you're finding woodcock is also where you're gonna find deer. Oh yeah. So it's like it's like a double-edged sword. That's one reason why it's kind of fun having the bird dogs, because it's like you can take them out to these spots, run the dog, but while you're running the dog, you're dropping pins mm. on deer sites, you're finding you're, you're you know jumping up deer or anything like that. Um, it, it, to me, it's really effective, and it kind of goes into a future guest we're gonna have on the podcast, get Ben George back on here, and how he uses rabbit dogs and rabbit hunting to find areas that he likes to deer hunt and finding specific bucks to go target. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun episode. Uh, yeah, and that that area also, how you're describing it, and, and you know, I walked through it too, where it's in the midst of like a bunch of really open hardwoods mm-hmm. uh, that you can see really far through, but there's like a strip of cover that goes through it, and that's a spot that I would like, I'd love to sit that all day, because mm-hmm. that to me just screams like 11.30 a.m. cruiser. Yep. Like Big Buck comes walking through there midday, lunchtime, one o'clock, he's gonna like come walking through and potentially checking does that area or just using it to get from point A to point B. Yeah, and there was a, um, we had talked a little bit about this while we were there, but there was a logging road uh, that kind of came through that opening and went back into the timber a long ways. And when we did our big loop and we hit that logging road, that logging road was like super high. So like it was like wide open, big hardwoods around it. And then like you hit within 50 yards of either side of this logging road. And it was just like high stem count pines and just um, like uh, holly bushes and just all kinds of grasses, all kinds of stuff where like you just couldn't oh, see into it. That sounds so good. And I, I told Zach and the guys, I was like, we may find some birds here, but I want to walk this down 150 yards and just see what it looks like and then swing out. Dude, the second we hit that logging road, and it's like, when you when you talk about like a travel corridor, it could not get more perfect than this. Like, yeah, it's not like a fence for something you see guys talking about the Midwest, but it's wide open. I'm talking, you can see 250 yards in the timber on either side. And the second you hit that old logging road within the 50 yard buffer on either side of that logging road, it's about 100 yards wide, roughly. It is just like 
a lot higher step. It's not like you can't walk through it, but it's like a visual obstruction. Yeah. And we hit it, and it was like deer sign, deers like scrapes, rubs, tracks, scrapes, rubs, oh, tracks. Yeah. Big, big rubs. Like on pine trees that were like on trees like that big around that had been like some of them going to another guest, which I won't mention, but we're going to talk about maybe in a future episode very soon. Uh, talk about like historical like signpost rubs. Oh, yeah. Like one of these pine trees looked like you could tell the deer had been hitting this tree for multiple years in just big scrapes. And like that logging road, we followed out to get to another little opening on that logging road. And then that logging road split and that cover split with it. And I'm like, if somebody sits right here oh. on like either in the split or off one side of the split of this logger where all this cover is following through, someone should have an opportunity catching a cruising buff. Mm. I'll sit there if you don't want to sit up. <laughs> I'm debating it. Dude, that sounds awesome. I'm actually, I'm actually really excited. We're going to have a bunch of rain for this hunt, uh, which is going to wreak havoc on you know camera gear and stuff. So we're going to be really limited on what we can do with that. But I got a pair of chest waders and a rain jacket <laughs> that I'll pull a Jacob Myers and I will hunt in that. Yeah. So uh, so I'm actually really thinking about doing that and just you know toughing it out because the way I see it is like the, those deer are still going to move in the rain. Mm -hmm. You know maybe not the just torrential downpours that we're bound to get. But if there's any kind of break, like for me, historically, I've always had really good luck at, with breaks in the rain, you know, mm -hmm. like if it's raining from daylight to like 8 a.m. and then it stops from like 9 to 1030. Dude, you better be calling. Yeah, I, like it, that's been, that's always been really good. I've killed yeah. a bunch of deer on days. I, I guarantee you guys, I'll be grunting. If there's a break in the rain, I'll be out there right. do, yeah, do, right. doing some tender grunts right. big time. Right. Um, and really, actually thinking about that. That roadbed probably even better if it's raining like that because mm -hmm. I think they're actually be they may still use some of those like hardwoods around there mm -hmm. in that area they kind of get out of like some of that super dense wet cover yes but when it stops they may get back into that stuff so that was the other thing we, we ended up finding some other pines that from a habitat standpoint look phenomenal oh they yeah so, it's so yeah some of the best I've seen yeah it's it's very similar to what we were hunting on the SOA it's just perfect beautiful select cut pines. select cut pines that are burned the cover is anywhere between waist and chest high mm -hmm. going all through and plenty of brows you can look and just see all the green like honeysuckle green briar mm -hmm. stuff going through those pines that deer like plenty of tracks around it uh not just a ton of bucks on around it that we found but we only skirted the edges on the roads um but with it being like real rainy and everything and it's just gonna be wet i don't know how much they're gonna like that cover because I like when it's real rainy and wet, I like to hunt stuff that is uh, is a little more open, well, or maybe just like a little bit less like grassy. Well, when we talked to Jonathan Wilsonback, <laughs> yeah, man, COVID, don't cough my way, cough up. <coughs> um, Jonathan Olsenbeck talked about because we were talking to him about trail cameras and him running trail cameras all year, and asked yep. him about in rain situations where you see deer using these like open woods, like yep. open hardwoods. It's like that's the one time of the year yeah. I'll find them in a, in a big hardwood box yeah. if it's raining. Yeah, because they don't want to. It's like walking through a bunch of wet mops. Yeah, yeah. especially like, like broom sedge and stuff. Yeah, it's, I mean it's like literally walking through wet mops. But also, if you think about it from like a predatory standpoint, they can't hear. Oh yeah. Nearly as well. So it's like I think during the rain events, like scent's still a big a big factor for them. But also, it's like well, if I can't hear anything, at least I'll try to sit somewhere or like work somewhere where I can at least see what's going on. And then, you know, when it goes back to like being dry, well, now I use my hearing and, and, and you know, scenting capability more so in that thicker cut. Yeah, think of where JT shot his buck this year. Yeah, yeah. And JT shot a really nice buck in some more open woods, like mm -hmm. what I would consider very open woods, yeah. especially for where he was at. 
And uh, it was rainy that morning, and we had been talking about it, and we we're like, yeah, this is a perfect spot. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he went in there and shot one that day. So I'm super excited. Which, to hunt some stuff again, like that. so that makes me think that that logging road bed might be the ticket. Well, also, just past your scrape, where, where you work past the scrape and kind of start going back to the trucks mm -hmm. without me saying too much, mm -hmm. that strip of woods right there mm -hmm. is like, it looks Bucky. Oh, that's what I was saying. Yeah, no, that's what we were saying when we were because we it's, it's Greenbrier and yeah. blinds and, it, and it's like smaller diner hardwoods and that stuff. And it yeah, it's just like brushy looking yes. is the best way. And again, looks not as a place they're gonna probably bed at, but for traveling through. Yeah, them, which I wish I would have. And you might have seen. Did you see where that stuff came out to? Because like further like below that area, there's like some other like thick looking pines yeah. that we never walked into. And I wonder if that 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 cover runs all the way into that thicker group of pines. Because when we drove back by some of these pines right there, I was like, those pines looked exactly like where we found that big scrape at. Yeah. And they could be bounced from one spot to another spot down, you know, through that like thick, that thick strip of cover. Yeah, I think that's a good spot. I think we need to hunt that. Uh, I'm super excited, dude. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Hopefully we don't get uh, floated off. Yeah, I'll, 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 have, I'll have my chest waders too, but I've got, I've got some um, first like rain pants and rain jackets, so I'll probably just run that. But the worst thing about hunting in the rain isn't necessarily like you getting wet. I mean, if you have good rain gear, you get past that. But what is the miserable thing is like your gear getting wet. And I mean, your oh, gear, like yeah. your, if your backpack gets wet, it's not drying for an extended period of time until yeah. you take it back. And typically after a couple of days of being wet, like what we're having to deal with. Um, it's gonna get a little stanky. Yeah. So it's gonna get some funk to it. So you know that's something you gotta like kind of pay attention to is you know making sure, you know I will use probably a specific backpack, my more minimalist pack, mm -hmm. just because like I don't want I'm not, it's not gonna be super cold, so I don't have to carry a bunch of layers anyways. But just because like that smaller backpack's gonna be easier to drive than like my bigger like transfer pack and everything. Then if we kill one, we'll have a game card or we can pack it out whatever we need. So, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls, and it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is 
unbelievable. Like everybody's jaws were dropping. Like when we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you could head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U. L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. All right, let's, uh, let's hit some Q&As. Awesome. Uh, Appreciate everybody getting some big Q&As. We've had some really good ones, along with some... I'm talking about... There, there's some of you guys that have written listener success stories in January killing hammers. Yeah, we got a bunch in the hopper, uh, and we've kind of slowed down on posting them. Part of that is because we're going to be... We're going to start posting them like in the summertime too, like leading up to deer season. Well, you need, yeah, you need to tell some guys that because we had one guy listen or write in. He had spent one like on January 4th. He's like, man, when's mine going to come out? And, and I'm like, well, we're working through them I and you know, trying to get them posted. But if that's the case, we're going to kind of ease off and then start posting them back in the summer. Heads up for everybody's kind of submitted some late. Again, they're still going to be posted. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're all going to get posted for sure. But yeah, there's there are some hammers, guys. So appreciate everybody submitting listener success stories. Again, that link's down in the show notes in the show description on the podcast and the video yep. version of the show. And the same thing with the Q&As. You can submit your Q&As down below. There's links to the show in the show notes for Q&As. You can click it, submit your form, all your questions you want uh, us to cover, and uh, we'll go through those on these uh, breakdown outro episodes. All right. This one is from Josh Wade, who is from Ohio. Ohio! Ohio! In the house. Um, O-H-I-O. Uh, after scouting for buck bedding, uh, when, season, when season comes in and you don't have many days to hunt, what makes you all decide which hunting location to hunt first? So after scouting for buck bedding, when season comes in, you don't have many days to hunt, what makes you decide well, which hunting location to well, hunt Well, first? Josh, the, not to break it to you, but we don't really scout for buck bedding anymore. Maybe areas that maybe, like, based off trail camera use and stuff and sign that bucks are using, but not actually looking for again like specific beds or stuff like that um i'm trying to think of some episodes that would be good for you. the biggest thing is if, if you have limited time the trail camera aspect is going to be huge for you um just to kind of implement and, and kind of help you scout while you're not there and the episode you need to listen to josh is um i'm going to tell you right now oh. so, episode with josh driver getting you know, one of the most popular episodes we've ever produced Episode 512, Find and Hunt a Buck's Core Area with Josh Driver. So, again, Josh's tactic specifically is doing what you're talking about. Like, he's trying to find, like, individual buck bedding, and he's not really trying to find the bed. He's just trying to find the a couple acres he may be using at a very short window of time. Yep. And then he's using trail cameras in that area to kind of backtrack that deer so he can get them on camera during daylight hours, multiple times, you know, hopefully multiple times in a day, and then goes in there on a very specific day to go and, and kill that deer. So that might would work for you along with, um, I'm trying to think of another guy that would work for you episode-wise. Um, you know, we haven't had a ton of guys from the South who are, who are really big into the bug bed. I mean, Glenn Solomon talked about yeah, it. Yeah, Glenn did talk about so, it. Episode 116 with Glenn Solomon uh, would probably be one worth listening to. Um I think that what I, our our backstory on the buck bedding thing is like, man, we tried that for several years. Like the the beginning years of this podcast, we talked a lot about mm-hmm. it. 
we tried it for several years and it just I don't feel like it really works that well down here. Uh, some people can probably get it, it to work. I think it's in some habitat types. Yeah, it's, it depends on your habitat type. Now, if you're in Ohio, it probably works a lot better than it works in Alabama or Georgia. For sure, because maybe covering covers a slightly more limited, yeah. you know, aspect to to like what you're dealing with, especially like more hill country, even flatland. But like down here, in certain parts, because I do know some guys in Alabama. We're gonna have one on talks a little bit more about buck bedding. Um, but a lot of guys that hunt down here in the deep south, if you're hunting in an area with vast amounts of thick cover, like yeah, I've heard guys again, and we've talked about before, like yeah, you can find ridge points stuff that you you suspect a buck's bedded on. And Andrew's talking about this too. You go and scout them, you jump a deer up, you never see the deer, you hear the deer run off, and you assume it's automatically a buck. You put a trail camera in there, you never get on a trail camera. Or maybe you put a trail camera in there and you do get a buck on a trail camera. Well, the thing is, one thing we've seen with GPS studies down here, especially in the Southeast, like the study that just came out from Mississippi State University, but also one that uh, from Auburn University that Andrew and Michael Pike broke down a couple years ago, that's on our Patreon right now. Um, the whole study's broken down where you can actually see the individual points day by day, hour by hour, specific bucks. They rarely ever use the same area yeah. every day. It's like, you know, maybe a day or two they're in this bed, and then now they're 400 yards away in a different area. Yeah. They use the same spots, but there's like eight or 12 of them that they're using in a 30-day period of time. So if you look at your your odds of which bed, if you found every bed and you didn't have cameras on every bed, the odds of you picking the right bed in order to kill that deer, at least down here in the south, is extremely low in that high stem count, more clear-cut habitat. Now, again, river bombs, it might be completely different. Wide open hill country might be completely different. They may, be, they may be a lot more selective in those areas, but this, in our experience in this kind of habitat, that's what we found. That's what the GPS data show. For sure. All right, next up, this is uh, Dino from Georgia. He says, what sign do I need to see to see any deer at some point during the day. My main objective is to fill my new freezer. I'm a new hunter, I started last year. I enjoy going out there in nature, but it becomes defeating when I drive one plus hour and come out empty handed. I started last year, uh, but I got my first deer this year, a spike on private property. I love the show and binge pretty regular. We appreciate it, man, appreciate you listening and uh, uh, congrats on your first deer. Uh, I would say, um, whatever this whatever sign is like your most uh most recent sign so like that's usually going to mean tracks if if you've got like a bunch of fresh tracks in an area i'd say that's a really good starting point because uh tracks deteriorate so fast that if you're finding tracks the odds are they're pretty new they're pretty fresh like less than a week old so that's going to give you the best information on where deer are at right now um rubs can also be pretty good uh, but really, if you're just trying to find deer, man, I'd say, I would say tracks for sure. What would you say? So I'll say this. When we did our last herb bomb hunting in Alabama, I, I <laughs> okay. focused, listen, I got a different story. So if you were just hunting tracks, if you're just trying to shoot does, and then, like you're just like trying to shoot any deer, which seems like what you're talking about, yes, tracks are fantastic. If you're trying to kill a buck, sometimes tracks in certain environments is very deceptive, Okay. Um, if you're hunting an area, so he's in Georgia, if you're hunting an area that's really soft soil, um, you know, river bottom, just habitat that holds a track for a very long time very well. This is a good point. Th that can be very deceptive because first off, you think there's a lot more deer walking through than there really is. And that's what I got. My, well, I say that we still saw a bunch of deer in a couple hunts, but there's some hunts we went on. I found a ton of tracks, some rubs, some scrapes, not a single deer sight. Okay. There could be a lot of factors of why that didn't happen. 
Some areas are getting used more at night, some areas are getting used more in the morning time, some more midday, some more afternoon, and so on. But my thought is, if you're just trying to hunt deer, and also you might would want to shoot you a, a rack buck, is when you have a mixture of everything in one spot. And I don't mean just sign, but it's got to have the habitat too. Because what bit me in the rear bottom is I started like, man, maybe these deer would walk through a little more open woods. There's tons of sign. There's some thick cover, but it wasn't enough thick cover. And those spots are the spots we didn't see any deer at. Okay. Yeah. You need an abundance, if possible, if your property sets up for this, whether you're hunting public or private, of habitat edges, different diversity in habitat, number one. Okay. If you find an area with a lot of habitat diversity, again, best example for us is like in clear cut country. You have a pine stand that's five or six years old. You have a fresh clear cut on the other side of the creek. And then just below that, there's a split in the creek. And then maybe you have seven or you know, or 10 year old pines. Okay. And you have a hardwood range in between. There are going to be deer bouncing around between those three different cover types and that hardwood SMZ constantly. That would be more of a high odd spot. And you should find deer sign accordingly or according to the habitat edges. You can walk into one of those areas and not find a track, not find a rub, not find a scrape. It might not be good right then, but at some point it sees it, it may get better. But if you find the habitat, if you find the right habitat, you're going to find the deer side. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that wholeheartedly because the thing is, like the the little twist that gets thrown in here is like, if, if you if you're really familiar with your area, then you can maybe like overlook like a lack of tracks or whatever, especially yeah. if you've been getting a lot of rain. It's like, okay, there's not really any tracks to, to be found right now. But if you know the, how the deer use the habitat in your area, like you're talking about, uh, that can almost override, you know, finding like a, maybe a lack of sign in some areas. Like I'm thinking about the hunting club specifically. Like I, I actually really struggle to find decent sign on the hunting club but I kind of use the, the habitat as a windfall where I'm like, I get in a certain area and then I'm like, the habitat is just really good. There's maybe some old sign here. Maybe I've seen some deer here in the past. Like I know they're in here. So it's like, I don't necessarily have to go in there and find, you know, a beat down sandbar yeah. where they're crossing a creek because I know that they're in that area. So that's actually, that's a fantastic point. So couple it with the habitat. Like you gotta have that good cover, that thick cover. Even if you're on private land, like you still wanna go and be near that thick cover. Is I mean, even if there's not really anybody else on the property, like they're, even on our SOA hunt, you know, we're, we're talking about how these deer are so much more likely to just walk out in the open and they're, and they're not acting pressured. They're still around the thick cover. Mm -hmm. Like even on the SOA, a highly, highly managed piece of public land that's, that's limited access, you know, it only gets hunted a little bit. Uh, it's like cream of the crop. Even there, they're still sticking close to that thick cover. And, and don't look at the thick cover as just security cover. There's food in there. If you live in yeah. Georgia, especially like South Georgia, the winters aren't harsh enough to kill off all the greenery. So there's greenery and browse in that thick cover, especially like, you know, if it's like pine stands. And now it's one thing if it's just like all saplings underneath, okay? There's probably not a lot of food in there if it's like all saplings and completely shaded out. But if there's some like coming through like the pine trees, for, for example, and you, you can look down and you see like wild clover and these wild strawberries, these little tiny green, I mean, small little green leaf plants on the ground floor, that is food source for deer. Great example, clear cut the SOA that we talked about. Again, yeah. it comes out Monday's episode, y'all are gonna hear more about this. But clear cut I sat, Andrew walked up to it and was like, man, there ain't no reason a deer's gonna come through here. It looks, you know, open and there's nothing growing underneath. Well, I went and sat it, climbed up in a tree and when I looked down, you look out into it and it's like a green carpet, like of just stuff that's like an inch tall and all the deer I saw, they were feeding on that crap as they were like working yeah. towards me or coming across it. 
So a lot of it's super subtle. Like you might not see the food, but if you have that in one of those thick areas and you have a visual, um, you have the capability of climbing a tree, use a climbing stand, lock on, uh, saddle, whatever, uh, and you can look down into that stuff, you're gonna have an option, you're gonna have probably an opportunity to be able to see a lot more deer uh, than if you're sitting a lot more in those open hardwoods where there's a lack of food source once, you know, especially, you know, uh, mass crops like acorns have dropped. Yeah. All right, this one is from Brody Miller, who's from Alabama. He said, if you only had one day to scout and two days to hunt and rifle hunt on a WMA, where would you start with boots on the ground and what type of terrain seems to be more popular in your opinion on bucks that are chasing? So the, I'll just go ahead and like preface this by saying one day to scout, two days to hunt. I would not be afraid to let that bleed over a little bit and say maybe one and a half days to scout, one and a half days to hunt if it comes to that. Like if you walk in on day one and that's your scouting day and you find the spot, then that's great. Hunt it for two days. But if you don't find something really good on day one, keep scouting into day two, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also uh, terrain features. So I'm assuming that you're in some kind of like hill country terrain because I don't think you'd use that term if you're hunting flatland stuff. Uh, what's your op opinion on a like terrain feature for chasing? I mean, I wish you would get, okay guys, if you're running Q and A's and you have questions like this, give us as much contact as possible on like the property and like habitat terrain that like, you know, sits out this place. Because, you know, he says terrain. So yeah, I do assume it's more hill country Maybe not mountains, but probably a little more hill country. I, I still like the train's awesome. Andrew's a big train guy. I like train too, like saddles and points and all this kind of stuff, thermal hubs. But like the cover is it. Yeah. Like cover first, terrain second. Unless everything looks exactly the same and then the train can overpower some like that lack of habitat. Uh, but definitely in this circumstance, like boots on the ground, you say you have one day to scout. You're starting at daylight, and I'll, at daylight, I want to be jumping deer. Yeah. If I'm walking, if I'm not jumping deer, maybe it's not a bad thing. You know, maybe they're just not there right now. But if, if you're finding sign, you should be bumping deer up as you're going, and don't worry about if you necessarily do that. That's yeah. like when we were woodcock hunting the other day. Yeah. Slash scouting. Immediately bumping deer. Yeah, absolutely. As we walked in. So, like, to me, like, the first thing is, is, like, looking at the map. Again, just like we mentioned with uh, the gentleman from Georgia looking at habitat edges like where is the best looking habitat edges that first off are the most obvious for me but also while i'm looking at that and i'm dropping pins like i'm on onyx you know the day before at least dropping pins on things what's the most obvious looking habitat edges where you have three or four edges coming together but also is there anything slightly less obvious because the most obvious spots probably going to have hunting pressure there too because a lot of a lot of seasoned you know, deer hunters in the southeast, if, if they hunt public land a whole bunch, or even like hunting clubs, if they're not sitting food plots, they're probably finding some kind of, some kind of habitat edge to sit on, where it's edge of a clear cut, edge of a couple different cuts coming together, uh, different systems like that. But look at the most obvious, in my opinion, and then while looking at the most obvious, where's the more subtle habitat edges in between the obvious spots? Yeah. Um, so a great example, like some of these road bottom places, it's like you have like, big timber might be a lot of hardwoods you have hardwoods then you have pine thickets mixed in but then you start seeing there's like these slew heads that are like just kind of like throughout the hardwoods and like you see a slew head on on x and it's just like if you look at aerial imagery it'll look like a, just a dip a dip or a divot in the tree canopy that might run for a couple hundred yards or 50 yards or whatever if you have open ground like that even if there might not be water in there okay this is just for example 
there could be higher stem count c cover that deer can run along going from one more obvious spot to another obvious spot uh, from a habitat edge. In hill country, to me, it's all about like the habitat diversity, especially if you're on a WMA, say like in Alabama, where they maybe do a little bit of timber harvesting. Um, and then also, don't overlook, when I say obvious spots, like an obvious spot for me is like a two or three year old clear cut. Don't overlook that. Because yeah. there's, there's been times, and you just got a great example of this, I think from last season, you overlooked sitting in a clear cut, went and sat a little more less <laughs> obvious spot. Yeah. You didn't see anything, and the guy with the clear cut who came in an hour after you shot a deer. Yeah. And it was on a buck only hunt, so yeah, it must have been a, a good one. Must have been pretty I ended up talking to some listeners who were hunting that. I don't I don't think it was that that day or whatever, but ended up talking to some listeners who killed a, a stud in that in that clear cut. So that's another thing, is like those more obvious spots on the WMA, especially like in Alabama or like probably uh, Georgia too, Mississippi, if you're in timber country, if you find a good two, three, four year old clear cut that you can climb the edge of and there's like in hill country, talk about like for chasing activity. If we talked about some podcasts a bunch and Andrew taking probably some thunder stuff you might want to talk about. If you have if you're in hill country and there's a clear cut on top of a ridge and there's a low spot, like a not just oh, yeah. not not just like a steep draw, but a low drainage that cuts through that clear cut that goes down to an SMZ, I want to be sitting at the top end of that drainage on the edge of the clear cut. Or just off the edge of it. I want to be maybe like right at the head of it, but I want to be within like shooting distance to shoot that ditch. Yeah. Because that draw, typically in a clear cut, it'll get really brushy, and it's a it's a, a draw they cut across. There's not trees necessarily standing. It's just a low spot. But a lot of times you'll have open stuff on the side of it, like more open ground where it's like more grass and stuff. And wow. I said, yeah, I sat one of those this earlier this season. I never saw a buck there, but I had does working the edge of that draw, going back and forth, up and down in that clear yeah. cut. And it's like a focal area in those clear cuts. And it's a really good spot to be able to watch during the rut where does may pile into that and a buck knows it. And he's going to be cutting across that ditch or cutting up and down that ditch through that clear cut. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, especially the habitat first, terrain second, because uh, <clears throat> I've gone back and forth on uh, terrain features. Because uh, we interview so many people on here and uh, who talk about terrain features. And so you kind of get pulled in a bunch of different directions and you get really focused on this terrain feature, that terrain feature. Um, but really, at the end of the day, if there's not good habitat to hold the deer around that terrain feature, and if there's not a reason for them to use that terrain feature, as in using it to go from point A to point B, then it's not gonna be a good terrain feature. So like, some of the best saddles ever that you that you could go find in some areas that I'm thinking of, like they they just look like the most perfect saddle ever but you go up in there and there's really nothing to them mm -hmm. and it's because there's nothing really around that saddle that's holding deer like the perfect saddle is one that's got really good bedding on both sides of it and deer are going to be going back and forth between those two bedding areas or or bedding and food or just whatever the case is two destinations that deer are going to be at and that saddle is the path of least resistance for them to get through there. That's what makes it good. So, like, when it comes to terrain feature, I love a good saddle. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm always, most of the time, I'm going to say saddle. Um, but uh, it really depends more on the, the, the habitat than anything else. So, it's like you got to, it, it's a mix of you got to go find that. What I like to do is I like to find the habitat first and then just sit there and, and look at that habitat and look at where all the habitat edges come together and, and find all that and see what looks good and what looks important. And then switch it over to topo and then find where those same areas of diversity where the habitat edges also compound with some kind of terrain feature like maybe it's a hub maybe it's a saddle maybe it's a bench whatever the case may be but you're trying to stack all those things on top of each other and and 
I like to have compounding habitat features and compounding terrain features, like kind of all working for yeah. me. And, uh, and one of the places that we found this weekend is kind of like that, but just to give a flatland example, the, these pines that we were talking about that we like so much, the habitat in those pines looks really, really good. And uh, it kind of meets these hardwoods on this messy edge. It's like maybe an old fence row is right there, but there's a row of bigger trees. And on one side of the trees is kind of open hardwoods, kind of swampy. On the other side of that uh, line of trees it is this pine stand. It's like really good habitat. So you've got a compounding habitat feature right there. You've got two different habitat features coming together and they all kind of come and like hit this one spot. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you've got water, like a like open water that deer would have to swim across that comes right up against the back side of that. So that would be like in flatland terms, in my opinion, a terrain feature. So not only do you have this habitat edge that deer are gonna be hanging around and attracted to, but also you got this hard feature right here that they're gonna funnel around the edge of. Mm -hmm. So it's got a lot of stuff going for it. So I'm looking for that same thing in hill country, like that same idea where you got the habitat diversity and you got the habitat features kind of running into each other, but then also you got your uh, your terrain feature that kind of compounds into it and it just makes it that much better. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I would go for. And uh, if you're if you're rifle hunting, get somewhere where you can see my man. Get on a road bed if it, you know if it's a closed road bed, you can hunt it. Hunt that. A power line, gas line, like whatever. I love hunting stuff on like a gas line. It's mm -hmm. kind of hidden out of the way. Where again, a terrain feature or a habitat feature runs across a gas line. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Pit cover on both sides. Oh yes. Pit cover on both sides of a, of a road bed. Road bed that cuts through a, um, a clear cut. How, how about this? A road bed that cuts down through a, a, a pine thicket that goes and dips down through a saddle. That's one thing that I like hunting. I've had great luck in spots like that where where the roadbed goes down through the saddle and back up the other side and you can sit up here on this ridge top and you can look down that roadbed and you're looking right down through the middle of that saddle about that. in the thick cut. I need to show you a roadbed that I found on that where we woodcock hunted. Yeah, the second I drove by, I was like, pin drop. Oh yeah, like, yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm gonna have to show you something, oh, buddy. Yeah, that's a that's. But like I said, I would not be afraid again to uh, give up a little bit more hunting time to do a little bit more scouting. God, how many podcasts do you subscribe to? I do a bunch, actually. Uh, I don't listen to most of them. All right, we got a new review that we're going to read. Uh, I'm going to make Jacob read it, because he's not good at reading. So. Sweet. This is from D. McDonald in Tennessee. So, by the way, appreciate everybody leaving us new reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Apple user, which about 75% of you guys are, uh, please go over and take two seconds. Just leave us a five-star review. Doesn't cost you anything. And if you got a couple, if you got a minute or so, write us a written review. We try to read this off on the new podcast or on the new episode. So, again, got a new one in from uh, D. McDaniel in Tennessee. McDonald. Yeah, there it is. McDaniel is gone. We're on the third. Uh, that's one. Five stars, awesome show title. Love the show. Well, love, the show <laughs> love the show, guys. I've been listening for four years now. Y'all have definitely made me a better hunter. The only thing I wish y'all would do when interviewing other hunters is ask them how they climb trees and what systems they use. I've changed from ladder stands to climbing stands. and or, I've, I've, I've changed from ladder stands climbing stands to sticks, and now I'm wind-sticking. I'd like to learn about new techniques and equipment. You never know you might hear a new technique or some type of new equipment. Thanks, and be safe. And then we've, added a bunch of I know, we, we've had people ask that before. Um, 
McDonald. Uh, we've had people ask that before, and the the, the I'll, be, I'll be honest with most guys we interview, especially if it's an older guy, you know, it's on the show, typically as a climber. Mm-hmm. Um, every now and then we'll interview some guys that use some saddles and stuff, but we can kind of start bringing that into some some equations. Um, yeah. Because I remember one guy we asked it to, and I was kind of I was kind of taken away with what he said was. When we first interviewed Josh Driver back in like 2020 or 2019, whatever it was, yeah, um, I asked him because he was talking about getting super close to where he thought this buck was. These bucks were bedded at when he was hunting them early season, and I'm like, "Well, if you're getting quiet, I'm like, you know, what system are you using?" Because I'm thinking maybe like a saddle sticks or something like you know where, where you just ease up the tree, super slow, super quiet, kind of get your stick up one at a time. And he's like, "No, I'm using a climber." But he's like, I get the whole thing wrapped in like, you know, foam and everything. And I'm real quiet with it, you know, just super used to it. And he's like, I can climb trees real easy with it and, you know, walk through the woods quiet and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, we can maybe start implementing that a little bit more with some, some guys, especially people that we don't necessarily know. Yeah. Because um, it is kind of interesting kind of seeing, you know, everybody's taking thought on different equipment. Well, it's kind of interesting too. When we very first started the podcast, that was like, Right, right when I think tethered started mm-hmm. and like saddles started getting really big. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Yep. Yeah, so that was right when we started the show. And in the years we've been doing it, we've been seeing more and more people like start using that kind of stuff. Like people who maybe we wouldn't have expected. Um, like you're talking about older guys. Like I'm starting to run into more older guys who have switched over to something like that. Yeah, but Richard Maynard. Yeah, Richard. And, Richard's the perfect example. And yes. like, I don't want to say he's an older guy, but he's probably in his fifties, and he's running late fifties. He's running. Is he one sticking? Yeah, I think he's I think, one think sticking. One sticking. And he's running a cruiser because he had a cruiser sticker on his truck, yeah. and I I asked him about it uh, when we were down in camp with him that one time. But yeah, he's a, he's a perfect example. He's like a guy who's probably used to climber, you know, yeah, for a really long time, and and now they're starting to adopt this new thing. So yeah, we can start asking people that. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, it's getting a lot more common than it used to be. Like even outside of like our little bubble of you know mobile hunting, whatever, uh, it's starting to get more common. Even just you know out to the masses, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, other than that, guys, about time to wrap it up. Uh, again, appreciate everybody's been buying all the new apparel and the hats and everything. Again, there's a link down in the show description and show notes as well for that. So again, you can pick you up a new Southern Outdoorsman hat to either wear out in town or maybe get a little hunting in, especially if come turkey season. Okay? Oh yeah, we, uh, oh, funny thing. Okay, when we were scouting slash woodcock hunting this place, there we drove by this, we had to drive by this one truck who was parked and he was hunting and, uh, and like this, when we came back out, we, we went and hunted this area. When we came back out, I saw one of these freaking hats on his dash, one of these old school camo, and it's like a very uh, unique pattern. Yeah. And so I saw it. I was like, "That's got to be one of our hats." And you were wearing the hat, mm-hmm. and we go pull up at the next spot. And I'm like, "Hey, did you see that truck back there?" And you were like, "No, nah, what about it?" And I was like, "I think he's wearing that hat." And you're like, "Really?" And we had to drive back by it when we were leaving. And so when we drove back by, you hopped out and looked at his, uh, his dash, and you're like, yep, that's one of our hats. Yeah. So we, uh, we left him a sticker and a note. And, and he actually, actually messaged us about it. Oh, uh, yeah. And I awesome. uh, just want to say, uh, let's, yeah, let's give a shout out. Yeah, Brandon, appreciate the support, brother. Um, so hopefully, Brandon, you had an opportunity, maybe had some deer, because, I mean, you were in there all freaking day long, because we got there after daylight, run the dogs. 
and you were there after dark when we were leaving. Uh -huh. So, um, but anyway, hopefully you have luck hunting down there as well. But uh, yeah, it's cool seeing some Southern outdoorsman hats in the wild. <laughs> oh, by the way, I think did I mention this about the the Jacob Myers lookalike? Have I mentioned? Oh, that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, so so there's a hunt on there was a hunt on a piece of public uh, a few weeks back. Same place we uh, we found old Brandon. Yeah, right? and uh, this. Um, uh, we, we had a listener message message us on, on just our Southern Outdoorsman page say, hey guys, are you hunting XYZ this weekend? I'm like, no, we're not. We're, we're you know, we're in a different part of the state. And he's like, well, he's like, man, he's like, there's some guys uh, that pull up to camp and one of them, he's like, they kill a couple bucks. He's like, one of them, I swear, looks like Jacob. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's funny, you know, because I've had people tell me that in the past. Um, there's another one running around? Yeah, well, so, and I was like, okay, that's funny. He's like, all right, cool. You know, best of luck to you guys this season. 20 minutes later, our buddy Steve Lucas, who's also a listener to the podcast, also is one of the Buckmaster scorers uh, that will be at the Weaver Meet event February 24th in Hartsville, Alabama. Again, don't meet, don't, don't forget that, guys. Um, so Steve came to that event last year, scored some deer. That was the first time I got to really meet Steve a whole bunch. So Steve knows me, okay? He's met me. Yeah, Steve has seen you in person. Yeah. He texts me 20 minutes later at this guy's messages. He's like, he's like, hey, Jacob, are you guys hunting XYZ this weekend? <laughs> and I'm like, no, dude. He's like... Okay, he's like, well, I just had three guys come rolling by me on uh, bicycles. And he's like, one of them, I swear I thought it was you, and they had a game <laughs> card with them. And I'm like, well, it's not me. So there is a Jacob Myers lookalike somewhere in the state of Alabama. Running if you, around if, killing bugs. If you guys know who this is, you need to reach out to him because he needs to come on the podcast because I want to see what this lookalike looks like. Oh, that'd be hilarious. We'd have such a good time with that. So, it'd be crazy if his name was Jake or Jacob. That'd be hilarious. But anyway, so yeah, there's a Jacob Myers look like somewhere out there. But uh, now so. people are gonna be thinking we're hunting all these W bays. Yeah, no. <laughs> start showing up. I haven't seen this photo posted anywhere on social media. Uh, no, no, someone posted a photo. <laughs> yeah, someone posted a photo. <laughs> if you see them, get a photo posted. That's right. But the no, wish. Dot, the wish. Dot com. Jacob Myers. <laughs> Nice. But anyway, but yeah, so funny stuff happened. But again, appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Appreciate you all watching the podcast. Get excited about spring season, uh, turkey season, guys, because uh, I know we're getting excited. Um, we're already kind of, we've already kind of talked about potentially starting scouting some areas here in the next couple of weeks and just kind of, we got to go pick up trail cameras, but while we're in there, kind of figuring out what the turkeys are doing and, uh, and getting some stuff ready to roll. Owl <clears throat> Maybe. That'd be I fun. Think, hey, I've been hearing people talk about their goblin. You know, mm -hmm. every year, every year they start gobbling. They're be gobbled out for the season. Every year they're going to be gobbled out. They're be gobbled out. No, but it, it's going to be really Someone awesome. posted that on Facebook. There, it was like January 10th or something. They're like, I just had a bird hammering, you know, all morning. And I'm like, dang, I wish I had a bird hammering all morning. When I sit in the stand, <laughs> yeah. make the hours go by faster if I can listen to a turkey it, it, that, it, that it would, that it would. But <laughs> we got some awesome turkey content coming out for you guys this spring. So, again, make sure you stick around for that. And uh, and hopefully, guys, if any of you are going to be at NWTF this year, the National Wild Turkey Confederation Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, I think it's like February the 15th to the 18th or something, 15th, uh, 15th to the 17th. Yep. Uh, we're going to be at the show. I'm not going to have a booth, but we're going to be there kind of hanging out, uh, probably hopping into a couple different booths while we're there doing some podcasts, uh, shaking some hands, seeing some of you guys. So hopefully excited to see you guys up at NWTF this year. Yes, sir. It should be a pretty good time. So I'm beyond excited. We got a lot. Listen, deer season might be coming to a close, but turkeys are almost here, boys. So <laughs> We've got a lot going on. Dude. I know. I've got a lot going on. But, yeah, appreciate y'all watching. Appreciate y'all listening. And uh, we'll catch you back for Monday's episode. And you're not going to want to miss Monday's episode because there's some heartbreaking stories about myself 
on there. So I promise you, you're going to want to watch the podcast and listen to it. We're definitely watch on YouTube. But again, appreciate y'all watching. Appreciate y'all listening. We'll catch you back here on the next episode of the Southern Outdoors and Podcast. And remember, guys, y'all stay Southern. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about uh, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.